Inspiration now in session. Inspire God's people, the podcast. My wife thinks I'm crazy. How did we get here? Why do I have a podcast? We going higher and higher, let me inspire you. God's people, I see you, let me admire you. He gave you vision and purpose, but you struggle to dream. Cause the seed that was sown wasn't stitched in your genes. What was in them was denim. I guess what's in them is in them. There's a different perspective that I'm trying to present them. It ain't always peace when you see the peace sign. It don't make you a Levite cause you rock Levi's. What's up, people? I'm your host, Jay Will. Welcome to episode three of Inspire God's People, the podcast. How are y'all feeling today? I hope it's a good day out there in listener land. We have a great show on deck today. We are going to be talking about all things balance. So look, I want to do something a little different today and kick it off with a scripture of the day. This is going to get your mind where it needs to be and on the word and kind of making all of these connections through the Bible. Because as I stated in a previous episode, the Bible is super important to me. Repeat after me. The Bible is super important to me. We want to make sure that the things we're talking about make sense and line up with the word of God and make sure we're not veering off into la la land somewhere. So today I want to start off with a scripture today. All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one and two. For everything, there is a season a time for every activity under heaven. Verse two, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. Okay, that was Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one and two. And it's talking about balance. This idea that there is a time and a season for everything, right? So the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is that some things could be right or could be wrong based on the timing and the seasoning that they're happening. For instance, if it is the 4th of July and you come outside with some Timberland boots on and a skull cap and a bubble jacket, you are going to be foul, flagrant foul. You are getting kicked out of the game because it's usually about 90 degrees outside around the 4th of July, unless you're somewhere like Alaska, right? Then, hey, perfect timing potentially. I've never been to Alaska in July, but the only picture I have in my head, the only brand I have in my head for Alaska is snow and cold. So maybe if you're in Alaska, that's cool. But if you are in Orlando, then you are out of bounds. You get what I'm saying? So, right, there's this idea of balancing things out, not just taking something and running with it and being out of context, but taking something with balance, lining it up with the word of God, and then processing it with the sober mind against sound doctrine, right? So we should be giving and receiving information with balance, with the sober mind, with understanding, right? And it even makes me think about like myself, where I aspire to inspire. So I wanna give stories and examples and my experiences and hopefully use them to walk in my purpose and inspire God's people. But I could tell you that one of the things that happens really when you're in any type of form of leadership and you're giving information or you're directing people or you're helping people, right? People can tend to lift you up on a pedestal 
And I try to tell individuals all the time, listen, I do not preach the gospel of Jermaine. I preach the gospel of Jesus. And that's important to me to make sure that people know like, hey, I love helping you, but I'm not your God. Is this your king? I'm not your king. You get what I'm saying? And so at the end of the day, um, and even if I was a king, right? I don't know if this was biblical times. Do, do I have king potential in me? Maybe, maybe so. But at the end of the day, even in leadership, we have to be sober-minded. I actually was thinking the other day, and I ended up putting it on Facebook as a post, and I was just like, nobody is perfect. Even doctors get sick. And I was just sitting there, and I was thinking like, man, isn't it amazing how a doctor's job is to have us come in and to give us all of this guidance and to tell us all of these things about ourselves, right? And I don't think it would be normal for any of us to look at the doctor and say, hey, why are you judging me? Or you think you perfect or something? No, it's not that a doctor thinks they're perfect because a doctor also gets sick. Doctors die, right? But at the end of the day, doctors have a lot of experience. They go through more schooling than most of us, right? And they work longer hours than most of us. So a doctor through years of experience have gathered so much information and they can help people. Yes, they have to be aware to also continue to help themselves, but they're not perfect and they shouldn't be lifted up. They should be respected. It's nothing wrong with respecting a doctor and respecting their position and their knowledge, right? But we do that even with a sober mind. We respect doctors. We don't idolize them. We don't go into the hospital and bow down to them because we know at the end of the day, it is still God at work, right? It's still God's hand at work and by his grace that we're doing all of these things. So again, we're just talking about balance, right? So we know that if God is using someone in our lives, it's okay to appreciate them and to be grateful for them but we don't have to idolize them, right? Just to give them credit. And as people of God, as children of God, we also have to be careful not to seek idol worship, not to expect or want people to worship us and lift us up over the name of Christ. And so this is balance at play. It's this understanding that yes, it is a time to be born. It's a time to die. When you're born, you are coming into this world and there's all this opportunity and all of these great things. And when people die, a lot of times we think in our natural minds that the opportunities have ended. But in Christ, this is the importance of giving your life to Christ in salvation, because through salvation, Jesus defeated that death. And even though you die in this world, you're really living forever because you're saved. So you're giving yourself the opportunity to live forever. So that's why you can hear someone celebrate the life of someone and say they've gone on to be with the Lord because at the end of the day, they understand that this person was saved and Christ defeated death. So even though there is a time to die here, even that death has been defeated in Christ. But understanding that with balance, the only way to receive that salvation is through Jesus Christ. Balance. Knock, knock. Oh, my God. I already know who's there, man. What's up? What up, Lavelle? <laughs> Welcome. On, it, was, it was a joke. Knock, knock. No, I'm not saying it. <laughs> I'm literally not saying it. Listen, man. So, again, you know, the, the poll that you made on Instagram, 
We uh, been dealing with some of the, the questions people been How asking. How are you getting my questions? Hey, man, I got privy to that information, man. I got it. Okay. Right? All right. So I have a question from your little brother, Nehemiah. My little brother, Nehemiah, what up? He's like a full grown man with a family and stuff now, but uh, he's <laughs> Yo, always going to be my little brother. Be little brother. All right. Yeah. All right. So this, this is what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah asks about Christian rappers staying Christian in their music. And you're a Christian rapper. You're a rapper who's a Christian. You've been, I know you've been rapping, what, since, is it high school or college? Uh, don't try to don't try to act like you know my life, bro. Like, <laughs> let's get to the questions. Let's keep it about the people, man. You, know, this ain't about me. All right, you've been rapping a very very long time, just okay. so people know how old you are. But um, <laughs> yeah, so people want to know: Christian rappers staying Christian in their music, can it be done? Um, let me think about this. Duh. <laughs> First of all, Nehemiah. Why are you listening to any other Christian rappers other than me? Mm. I feel like for my brothers and sisters, y'all should not even buy another rapper's album. <laughs> Nobody. I don't care if they related to us. Like, just don't buy it. Just okay. buy my stuff. And then this wouldn't be an issue. But since it is an issue, then I'm going to deal with it, Nehemiah. I'm going to deal with these issues that you're having looking for some good Christian music mm -hmm. to listen to. The thing is, first and foremost, I got to be honest, I don't even know why this is a thing, mm. but it is. And here's what essentially happens based on what I know. Do I know everything? Not really, because I'm just kind of busy living in my own world, going to work, waking up, going out with my wife on the weekend, mm -hmm. um, dealing with friends that won't go away, things like that. <laughs> um, but here's what I do know. A lot of times what happens in church is that rap gets treated like youth group music. Oh. So it, it gets treated kind of like as a cast off rebellious type thing, not really a part of Sunday morning and that a lot of rappers are kind of like Friday night live, you know, uh, rap after the comedy show type deal. And so it creates this identity amongst rap and, and like kind of like this secret little part of Christianity and Christian rap where people are kind of doing things that the Sunday morning Christians don't really know about. And so a lot of the rappers, when they're traveling and they're on the road and stuff, they're still drinking, they're still smoking, they're still partying after the show. And because they're kind of looked at as outcasts, nobody really knows, there's no real accountability. And here's the other thing. What we do a lot of times in church, unfortunately, is just start putting people in positions before we teach them anything. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who are quote unquote Christian rappers, they were once rappers in the world. They never stopped rapping to become assimilated just as a Christian. Uh, so I know I'm making a long way to get to my point, but ultimately the biggest problem with Christian rappers is that even though we call it Christian rappers, the Christian part isn't first in their life. Mm. They were a rapper first. Mm. And then so they start living this life trying to be a rapper and figuring out how can I squeeze Christianity into me being a rapper versus, yo, I'm a Christian. Let me learn how to be a Christian. Let me understand what it means to be a Christian. Take some time away from rap if I need to. 
and uh, after doing that, then come back as a Christian rapper because people essentially think that rap is just rap. And if you rapped in the world, that it means that you'll be a good Christian rapper. And I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. And so essentially what ends up happening, and there's a lot of layers to this. This may be something that we tackle on a couple of shows, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of layers to this, but essentially what happens is you get people, you pull them in, and they're extremely talented. And from what I've seen, it's almost worse the more talented they are. Uh, wow. You know, my late pastor, Dr. V.B. Washington, he made a statement one time. He said, never let your gift take you where your character can't keep you. Man. And I said, wow, because everything that you just said pertaining to Christian rappers is not just Christian rappers. Right. It's just Christians in general, no matter what you do. I'm an actor. Right. It's the same. Oh, principle. yeah. Y'all got way more issues than rappers. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I've been on the road with plays. Y'all basically ain't even saying. <laughs> Barely, man. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm a Christian rapper, a Christian <laughs> actor, you know, as a, you know, but... Everything that you said literally pertains to every aspect of the Christian life. We have to get that foundation before we go out and do whatever it is we feel like God has called us to do. It's very dangerous to live your life from a stage. Mm -hmm. um, when you're, and you know this as, from being an actor, when you're standing on a stage and you're looking into the audience, you most of the time can't even make out faces. Right. It's bright lights in your face. Mm -hmm. It's dark in there. You can't see them. Here's an interesting thing from their perspective. They see you clearly. Mm. So it creates this world of parasocial relationships where it's a one-sided relationship where they know or think they know exactly who you are because they see you clearly. But your relationship with the world becomes very superficial and dumbed down because you, it's almost like when you see a, a rapper or, or someone um, and you hear yell from the audience, I love you. And they say, I love you too. Mm -hmm. The thing about it is the person in the audience who says, I love you, they actually mean it because mm -hmm. they know your favorite color. They know, you know, your favorite shoes, what kind of car you drive. They know everything about their favorite artist. But for that artist, how many of us really believe that that artist really loves that person? Wow. No, I literally feel like I just sat through a psychology class. <laughs> you did. I'm about to go ponder those things. Uh, you did. I am a borderline psychologist, self-taught. Well, borderline psychotic, but I look forward to interrupting you again, my brother. You know what? And I look forward to not letting you in. All right, man. Thanks, Lavelle. Okay, let's keep the show moving. I have a couple topics today that I'm super excited to get into. So let's do it. Um, I don't know how I feel about college. OK, this is something that I go back and forth in my head about my wife and I have talked about this really at great lengths through the last few years It's something that we always talk about. And it's really like the value of a college education. Do we think it's worth it to go to college? Would you tell your children to go to college or would you prefer them to be an entrepreneur or take up a trade? Right. With all of the money that it costs to go to college, are you really learning something, right? Now, I've seen this play out in just about every way. And even from my personal situation, I have mixed emotions about how much I feel like I learned in college 
how much my degree was worth, right? There was some value there. I did learn some things in college, but there was also so much more that I learned after college that in some regards, I could feel like, mm, was it really necessary for me to go to school when I could have just gotten experience, right? But here's the, the thing. There were many times where the degree got me in the door, right? So the degree was almost like my badge, right? It was my secret password to be let behind the door. And then once you're behind the door, now the degree loses its value just a little bit because now it's not the only thing that's gonna determine where you go because guess what? Once you're in the door, everyone had to say the same secret password to get in the door. So now you're competing with people who also have degrees. So what I noticed for myself is, and from talking to other people is, you know what? College is gonna be super expensive. However, it may be a secret passcode to get you behind some doors However, once you're there, you're going to need a lot more than a degree to progress from that moment. So it's not just about having something like a degree. It's about what you do with it. The degree itself can have value if you know how to work it to get the best out of it. But a degree can also represent a waste, right? If you don't know how to work that degree, once you have it, it may get your foot in the door. But once you're in the door, then there's going to be new competition. There's going to be new hurdles and new things that you have to work through. And guess what? Still new things that you have to learn. Graduating college does not mean you graduated from all knowledge. Like now you don't have to learn anything. In many aspects, in regards for myself, it was really just the beginning. So I don't think it's wise just to think that, hey, I'm going to go to college and it's going to mean that I'm successful or that I'm going to become successful, right? On the flip side, I also don't think that not going to college is the end of the world. And follow me on this. Maybe traditional schooling isn't the best option for you or wasn't the best option for you at some point in your life. But there are still a million other ways to learn, right? My thing is this. If you don't go to school, do something. If you don't go to college, that's just traditional higher learning, right? There's all type of programs and trade schools and things that you could become involved in or even as an entrepreneur, you can go to seminars, you can read books. I mean, there are so many ways to learn. My thing is this, even if you didn't go to college, it's not just always about, oh, you didn't get a degree. It's about what you're doing with whatever opportunity you have. So I don't think most people's greatest asset is that they went to school. And I don't think most people's you know, greatest liability is that they didn't go to school. I think it's all about what's in you. How are you willing to play the deck of cards that you were dealt? And whether you were dealt that because of decisions that you made or because of some type of disadvantages that you were born with or your family or social status, whatever it may be, here's my thing. It doesn't matter where you are. You have to start where you are. Okay, picture yourself in a mall, right? I'm not one of those people that actually use the mall directory 
But for this example, I use the mall directory, right? I walk into the mall and this is a mall that I've never been in before and I need to find my favorite store. Here's the thing I love about the mall directory. When you go into the mall directory and you're looking at all these stores on the board, there's a star on the board and you know what it says? It says you are here. The reason that's important is because you cannot get to where you want to go if you don't know where you are. What's my point? Start where you are. Whether you're rich or poor or went to college or didn't go to college or had a scholarship or, you know, you like me and you're paying off student loans and those type of things like it doesn't matter. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't worry about them. Everybody looks great. The grass always looks green on the other side. Trust me. And, and maybe it is green in some instances. Don't be mad at the people who do have green grass. Like some people legit have green grass and you're going to have to live with the fact that other people are successful too. You're not the only smart person in the world. Guess what? There are people who went to college and there could be an entrepreneur that dropped out of high school and is more successful than they are than the college graduate at 40 years old, right? This happens in life. You have to start where you are. You have to focus and say, listen, maybe I have this advantage of a degree. And if I have it, I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. If I don't have the degree, how can I offset that? Maybe I need to save a little more money. Maybe I need to take some classes here or there. Maybe I need to go to Google University, YouTube Community College, whatever you got to do to learn. That's what you got to do. And you got to become better. But guess what? Some people get a degree and never do anything with it. And that degree is a waste. It means nothing. And so it's about you, the degree or not having a degree. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but what matters more is what you do with what you got. Start where you are. Listen, it, you can't find your favorite store trying to figure out where I'm at in the mall, right? I may be on a different level in a different corner. You have to start where you are. Okay. Now that brings me to my freshman year of college in speech class. And I had an assignment and I chose to do this presentation on how, where you're from affects who you become. Right. And at the time I didn't necessarily know, you know, at 18 or 19 years old, um, that what I was really talking about was nature versus nurture. My whole speech was about nurture. It was about how, where you are from in your environment and how you're raised plays a part into your behavior and determining your success or your failures. Right. But even though that's a legitimate side, there's another argument to be made your nature. Now your nature is all about how your DNA or your genetics influence or determine the outcome of your behaviors and you know, who you become as a person right now. I tend to believe that it's less about nature versus nurture and more about how you nurture your nature, right? So how you recognize the value and the importance of your nature. For instance, if you're born to be six foot nine, right? We all understand that people will look at you and the nature will say, this is an athlete, right? However, at the same time, even though being six, nine in your genetics give you a greater advantage, you know, to play a sport, 
it's not the only factor. So being 6'9 alone, if you never practice, if you never actually give it any effort, then you probably will make the team in high school, but you won't make it to the NBA, and you may be on the bench even in high school. So yes, being 6'9 does have value, but it only gets you behind the door, right? It gets you, it's your secret passcode. So sometimes your nature is an advantage. It's the secret passcode to get you in the door. On the flip side of that, look at, there are a lot of short players through NBA history that are, you know, six feet, some under, six one, right? Now this nature looks at first glance like a disadvantage on a basketball court, for instance. However, this may be a disadvantage in the beginning and it may be harder to get your foot in the door, right? Because you don't have the secret passcode, but you can actually perfect other skills, right? Dribbling and passing and shooting. And you can use those skills that you can nurture, things that you can get better at. And you can actually now turn what was a disadvantage into an advantage because you're smaller and maybe quicker than some of the bigger guys or whatever, right? So it's not just about whether you're at an advantage or disadvantage. It's about what you do with it. And I think if we look in the NBA, look at a player like a Steph Curry who's 6'3", right? But he's won MVPs and championships and he has a $200 million contract, right? If you like that, if you like $200 million, I guess that sounds great, right? But my point is being 6'3", and he's skinny when he came out into the league, everybody was saying, Steph Curry isn't going to be a great player. He got drafted, I believe, like number nine. So there were eight players that went before him. And, you know, don't quote me on that number nine. Could have been number seven. It wasn't number one. We know that much. So his nature didn't give him an advantage in the NBA. But then even as I say that, right, I'm thinking like, man, in a way, his genetics did give him an advantage because his father is Dale Curry. His father was in the NBA. That's genetics. You're his son that's going to be an advantage. You see how all this stuff works in your life? What I'm trying to get you to see is that no matter what your nature is, no matter what your nurture, your environment is, you have to learn how to flip something that could look bad and turn it into a positive, turn it into an advantage, cultivate that thing, become better, right? There are people that grew up broke and they use that as an excuse to why they're broke as adults, right? We grew up in poverty, so on and so forth. But then you have someone like uh, Damon John. I read his book, The Power of Broke. And his whole book is about all these stories and how people used being broke and it became their greatest advantage. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you to balance it out, spread it out. It's peanut butter and it's jelly. Nature and nurture is peanut butter and jelly. And I don't know many people that don't love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. As a matter of fact, as soon as I'm done recording this episode, I am going upstairs and I am making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I bought some natural peanut butter with a touch of honey in it just yesterday. And I can't wait to smooth it out and put it on that bread with that jelly. And it's going to taste good together. We talking about peanut butter and jelly. We talking about balancing things out that go together. We talking about a smooth, buttery texture versus a sweet, jiggly texture. And we talking about making those two things that are different come together to make something as glorious as a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You get what I'm saying? Your nature and your nurture matter. Yes, so your nurture. You grew up in the hood 
in poverty with no money in the house. And these things at first looked like a disadvantage. They should have been a disadvantage and they were a disadvantage to many people. But for you, it's a choice. Can you nurture your nature? Can your nature, your nurture, however you want to flip it. I don't know if it makes sense or not, but it sounds good to me in this life. It is all about what you do with what you have. It's about recognizing and understanding. Yes, we're different. Some people grew up in a beautiful household with lots of money. And guess what? I'm just keeping it extra crispy with y'all. There are a lot of kids that grow up with money and it destroys them. Like the kids grow up crazy. The parents were rich, don't know their son, favorite color, never at home. And guess what? That kid grows up and is out of their mind and they're rebelling because for that kid, having a lot of money wasn't the answer, right? When you grow up poor, a lot of times you think money is the answer to everything. Kids who grow up rich sometimes might be like, man, money, I hate money. I just want my daddy or whatever. And so it's about balancing all of these things out and being careful not to become an extremist on either side. Because if you become an extremist, then that's how you become a person that loves money versus a person that just wants to use money as a resource to get somewhere in life or to help people or to make things happen. You get how this works? It's about balance, people. You have to balance these things out because there's going to be so many things coming at you in life and it comes out of nowhere sometimes and you have to learn how to balance it out. Sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's bad news. And you got to wrap your mind around all these things that are happening. What I'm trying to tell you all to do is that it's about balancing things out, right? It's about understanding how to take information and take situations and use them to your advantage. Okay. Okay. I hear you. Somebody out there like, oh, but what that got to do with the Bible? Oh, I thought Jermaine was saved. I thought he knew what he was talking about. Listen to what I'm saying, people. The, the, the story that comes to my mind off the top of my head is the parable of the talents, right? That's Matthew 25, chapter 25. Like this, this idea of there were three individuals who were all giving, guess what? Three different amounts of money, right? You were given three different amounts of nature, right? And, and so you had, you didn't have an equal opportunity. Maybe one person was six feet. Another one was six, seven. Another one was seven feet. Look at the person who was only given one talent. The person who was given one talent dug a hole and buried it because they didn't think it was enough. This is the person that looks at everything they don't have and compares that to everything that other people have. And they dig a hole and they bury the thing that God gave them. And yet you have a person out there that has two talents. And that person goes out there and gains interest and doubles the talent, right? The person that has five goes out there and gains interest and doubles the talent. And what happens when the master returns? He looks at that servant that had two talents to start and ends up with four and looks at that servant that had five talents to start and ends up with 10. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a few things. And now I will make you ruler over many. That's a popular scripture that we quote out of context all the time. If you haven't 
been faithful to the few, then God is not going to make you ruler over many. It sounds good just to say it to anyone, but if you fit into the category of that servant that had one talent, the master looked and said this, you are wicked and lazy and I'm casting you into outer darkness. Now that sounds pretty bad for someone who just hid their little talent because they were afraid to lose the little bit of money they had, the little bit of resource that God gave them, the little bit of hype that God gave them, the little bit of strength that God gave them. Well, I'm afraid to lose this little bit. So I'm gonna just dig a hole and I'm gonna hide it and I'm gonna do nothing. And Jesus calls that person wicked and lazy. I keep telling y'all death to laziness, death to laziness. You gotta kill lazy because it's the reason behind so many of these things that are holding us back. It is the thing that is causing us to be wicked in some instances because we're lazy. Now let's balance it all out so it makes sense. I'm not telling you to go and try to be a star. I'm not telling you to have selfish ambitions that are all about you, you, you. When you think about it, when the master came back, those servants who gain interest, interest, those are the souls that come to Christ because you're using your gift. When Jesus leaves you with something, he wants you to gain interest into the kingdom of heaven. Listen, Jesus calls it wicked and lazy when there is no interest. If you're gaining interest for the wrong bank, you're still wicked and lazy. You could be out here thinking, oh, I'm using my gift because I'm a star and I travel the world and I make money. Use Listen, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about selfish ambition. We're talking about gaining interest for the bank of Christ, right? It, you have to gain interest in the right bank. If you're using your gift to bring interest to the kingdom of darkness, then listen, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I don't think that's the good and faithful servant that's going to become a ruler over many. Again, we're looking at scripture in its proper context, right? Gaining interest in the right bank, not just, oh, because I'm out here famous, I'm using my gift. There are a million ways to use your gift that's not built around money, that's not built around fame, that's not built around you, you, you being a poster child and getting endorsements and everything else. Listen, if you find a way to do those things to the glory of God and God opens the door, more power to you, more power to everyone. Um, I'm just saying that at the end of the day, what we see a lot of in this society is people who are chasing things selfishly and then branding it or calling it, you know, something they're doing for God, right? And we just have to be true with ourselves. And you know, if you're doing the right thing, it's not for us to judge or point the finger or whatever, or condemn you, but you know, good and well, if you're using your gift to bring interest to the bank of Christ, and that's all we're talking about. We're talking about your nature, your nurture. We're talking peanut butter, jelly, and how to bring it together and make a beautiful sandwich. So then you could be faithful over that little peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then God can come back and say, now it's time to give you steak, right? You don't just jump from, from, from peanut butter and skip jelly. And, and, and I don't know, it could be a turkey sandwich in there somewhere and just go to steak. Listen, 
I don't know where these examples come from. I'm just talking off the top of my head. Things just pop up. So just flow with it, people. It's lunchtime. I haven't eaten yet. Just go with the flow. Somebody make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, please. Thank you. I'll probably never see that sandwich. So let's move along to our sponsor of the day. Oh, these sponsors are getting fancy. I got a little script. Today's show is sponsored by Kneel Down Productions. Kneel Down Productions is a production company that was created to bring quality theatrical productions with a strong message to the stage. The productions have Christ-centered themes presented in such a way that when you leave, you will have experienced a life-changing event. Lavelle Neal, the homie, is the founder, is bringing back his first stage play, Issues of Blood, in the spring of 2019, and presenting his second project, Hostage, in the fall of 2019. Go to kneeldownproductions.com for more updates and details and to stay on top of everything. That's N-E-A-L. You know how to spell down. You know how to spell productions.com. Check it out. Show some love. Uh. Yeah. Y'all know how I get when this song come on. I start feeling like I'm about to freestyle. I'm not going to do it, though. I'm not going to mess up the show right now. I'm in a whole different vibe. Uh. Just stop, Jay. Just All right, let's move on. Turn the music off, please. Let's, let's move on. All right, people. Moving along, moving along. Listen. This is something else I really want. We have a lot of topics today that I just really want to talk about, right? Not that I don't want to talk about the other stuff, but sometimes things are just kind of like more so something you're passionate about, right? That's how I'm feeling today. I'm feeling super passionate. So hopefully um, I can kind of contain myself as I have these conversations with you guys, right? I get really excited talking about this stuff because this is the stuff that like, I feel it. You know what I mean? Like these conversations are real to me. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm in the zone. Like I'm in it. It's real. It's like, I could feel it in my bones. Like, yeah. Okay. Don't, don't call me crazy. It is what it is. If you think I'm crazy, then you know what? You probably crazy too in a whole different type of way. Okay. I've noticed that when we talk about individuals throughout history who have done great things, we often romanticize their life story. So the first person that comes to mind is Dr. Martin Luther King. When I learned about Dr. Martin Luther King growing up, it was like, he's this great figure, which, you know, he's a great man, did some great things. But it's like, you learn all of the good and it creates this like deity type figure that you're just like, wow, Dr. King did nothing wrong, right? And kind of like we were talking about earlier, this is what we do to great people. We make them greater than they really are. And so I can remember being messed up when I grew up and learned that Dr. King used to smoke cigarettes, but they needed to protect his image, so they hid it from the public. I'm like, no, Dr. King, not you. But that's the reality of being a human being. I study individuals throughout history and one person that I really like to study and I, I've really studied the last few years is Vincent Van Gogh. Now, I'm sure you have at least heard the name Vincent Van Gogh. He's widely regarded as one of the greatest painters and artists that the world has ever known. Right. And for a long time, because I never studied his life, that was what I knew when I heard the name Van Gogh was like, wow, man, this is this great guy. Right. So. 
hey, let me check this person out because they're so great. Let me learn about them. And I'm expecting to learn all of these great things that, you know, are just way better than I am as a person or anyone that I ever known because these great, talented people, you know, somehow are, you know, just perfection. Well, needless to say, that was not what I learned when I studied the life of Vincent Van Gogh. And if you're familiar with my music, especially the last few years, you'll definitely hear bits and pieces of Van Gogh related lines. The one that comes to mind off the top of my head is from the God Knows My Art Project. The song was This Far. And I said, a hundred years ahead of my time, but I won't look back because I know that I made it this far. Uh, that's a Vincent Van Gogh reference. And you'll understand what that means when I tell you more about his story. So here we go. A couple of important things. He was born 1853, died in 1890, right? So like, wow, like this guy was only 37 years old when he died. Vincent Van Gogh really only was painting for a short amount of time. Okay, so let's get into a couple of other things that stand out. Vincent Van Gogh painted over 2,100 paintings in about 10 years. That is crazy to me. Like this dude was zoned out just like doing nothing but painting. Like 2,100 paintings in 10 years? You know, I'm digging into this conversation. It's like, you know, am I putting that much effort into what I'm called to do? Because time is such a valuable resource that we can't get back. How much time do we waste doing nothing or with the wrong people or in the wrong places, right? And we could be building something so much more special than what we could build at the club, right? Like what, what type of legacy are you really building out drinking tonight with your friends? But I'm going to stop the romanticizing right there because guess what? With even that being said, Vincent Van Gogh had a ton of problems throughout his lifetime. He was depressed. He was an alcoholic. And when he died at 37 years old, it was actually because he killed himself. He shot himself in the chest. He committed suicide. And so as I started studying his life, one of the interesting things that I learned is that during his lifetime, he did not have the reputation that he has today. People did not consider him this great artist and just one of the greatest of their time, right? Why, people who lived during the time who saw him, who experienced his presence, they basically looked at him as a loser. My point is, it's very interesting to me how you can be living amongst people. They can be experiencing your work and yet they don't see the value. However, Vincent Van Gogh dies, and 100 years later, in 1990, one of his paintings sold for over $82 million. That is so interesting to me. That's where the line in the song comes from. 100 years ahead of my time, but I won't look back. A lot of times, we find ourselves wanting to be appreciated by people so much 
that if they don't understand our creativity, if they don't see value in what we do, then we change what we do to match what they want. And I believe even going back to the Christian rapper conversation from earlier, the reason that Christian rappers leave Christianity as an artist is because they lose sight of their purpose and why they're doing it. One of the things that's interesting about making music is most artists approach making music to quote unquote, give the fans air quote fans what they want. I don't, approach art that way. I don't believe art is intended to be approached that way. And if you feel differently, that's totally fine. The way that I see art is that it's something that's in me. I'm painting what's in me. You can't tell me what should be in me. Now, people can critique art. That's perfectly fine. People can have an opinion, but ultimately, a true artist is true to themselves and what they're called to do the way God put it in them. And one of the things that is sometimes tough to do is to just remain true to that, even if it's not trendy amongst your lifetime, because sometimes people are just ahead of their time. Van Gogh actually had a quote, at least it was credited to him when I found this quote. And it said, I dream of painting, and then I paint my dream. When Vincent Van Gogh was alive, it's largely believed that he only sold one painting during his lifetime, and that was somewhere valued between like 1000 and 1500 US dollars today. Could you imagine that? One of the greatest artists of his time. You had the opportunity to know him, to meet him, but you only saw his problems. And so you didn't value what he did. On the flip side, people 100 years later romanticize him and only see the goodness in him. And they're willing to pay $80 million for a painting that people didn't want 100 years ago. It's very interesting to me, and it all comes down to a lack of balance. The people who lived in his lifetime were so close to his issues that they could not see the good in him. And the people who didn't know him are so far away from his issues that they can only see the good in him. And so neither side has balance. So one side's willing to pay $80 million, another side either doesn't want it or is willing to pay $1,500, but it's the same exact paintings. Like these paintings didn't go back and get remixed after he died. These are the original paintings. So here's the point that I'm making. It's so interesting. It's if you're an artist, if you're a creator, if God gave you a gift, you should be sharing that gift because you're leaving something in the world. So many artists make music because they want music to provide something for them. They want music to do something for them, to make them famous, to make them rich. And by the grace of God, the Lord changed my mind with a lot of the reading and studying that I do and in his word as well. He changed the way I think about this and I now approach my art and I've been this way for a few years now. I approach my art as a portfolio and the music that I'm making today is my 2100 paintings. 
I don't let the people in the world that I live with today dictate my purpose because I understand something simple. I might be ahead of my time. It might be a hundred years before someone can dig up some of these songs that I'm creating and find value in it. But I'm still who I am. Vincent Van Gogh was still the same artist when he was alive. And just because people can't see your value doesn't mean that value isn't there. And that's why it's important to find identity in Christ. Because if God called you to something, if God put something in you, then he put it in you for a reason. And you can't become so consumed with other people seeing it that you're not even appreciating the fact that God saw it. If God put art in you, do it to his glory. Because this is the art I have to be true to. This is the art that my children may see, that my grandchildren, and this is my legacy. Listen, people, I dream of paint, and then I paint my dream. I'm creating the art that God knows so that I know God knows my art. And I think that's the perfect time for us to pray it out, Lavelle. If you do the honors, man. Father, we come to you asking for your help. Lord, we ask for your help to help us to realize that you are sovereign, that you are in control of absolutely everything in our lives. Lord, we do not have to hold on to the stirring wheel. We do not have to lead, guide, and direct you. We pray, God, that you help us to submit to you, knowing that you have the best purpose for us in mind, that you have our best intentions in your mind for us. Help us to release the wheel, to obey your spirit and do what you have called us to do, to not hold on to the things and, and try to control them ourselves, but to totally surrender to you, to totally give everything over to you, knowing that you are the one who's gonna lead us, guide us, and direct us into the path that you would have for us. Help us, Lord, to let go. Help us to let go and allow you to lead, guide, and direct us in every aspect of our lives. And when we do, we will truly realize that you are the sovereign God, that you are the God who is in control of everything. Even those things that we don't understand and can't understand, we pray that you help us to yet trust you and surrender to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna get y'all out of here with the J-Will music song of the day. We're gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna share with you guys an unreleased song. It's never been mixed or mastered or anything like that. And it's a special song because when I started the God Knows My Art project, I went into the first session with Red and we kind of did some freestyling and you know just kind of piecing some things together. And this didn't make the album, but it's the song that started the whole album. So. Yeah, man. Enjoy it. God knows my art. J. Will I music. I feel like more of, a, more of an artist than a rapper this time around. Yeah. 
So hard, it's like I never had a Saturday. The early bird that waited for the latter rain and got it all and was ready for it when it came. Feeling like it's always something standing in my way. Another day, another giant that I'm finna slay. That's why I never leave home without my five smooth stones. First Sam 17, that's all I'ma say. I'm King David, but way before he was the king. I'm the David in the field, tending to the sheep. So confident in who he is, but yet still a man, still flawed. If I lose balance in this walk, I could still fall. Some people try to act like Superman. Uh, that's how you end up looking stupid, man. Uh, and I don't, I don't know nobody that's <laughs> trying to look stupid. Yo, come on. Uh, he knows my art. Uh, he knows my art. God knows my art, cause I'm his art, knows my art, he knows my art, he knows my art, God knows my art, cause I'm his art, should I answer God's call in the ministry? Or should I grow like a thousand legs like a centipede So I can run faster than he says, remember me? I'm your Lord and your Savior, yeah, I'm your risen King They don't know much about Jesus, haven't had time to read But they be quoting them scriptures, yes, I could do all things Through Christ Jesus, that strengthens me, that's the same dude They got the job after saying that, yeah, he came through Uh, yeah, oh yeah, he came through Ain't nothing that he can't do and if he saved me, he could save you. Let's go. I'm Jonah, running from Nineveh. Sinners been killing them in a dilemma. I never really wanted to minister. Cry me a river just so I could swim in it. He knows my art. God knows my art. Cause I'm his art. I'm on my Vincent Van Gogh flow. I just can't get this out of my mind. I'm like a hundred years ahead of my time. I appreciate each and every person who listens to this show. Thank you to our sponsor, Kneel Down Productions. Listen, don't be selfish with the show. Tell your friends about it, your family, your coworkers. Share it on social media. Text the link to people. Subscribe on YouTube. Leave us ratings and comments and all that good stuff, man. And Lord willing, we'll be back for episode four.